Um, all right, so we are going to be in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, um, verses 5 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one. We probably have one on the aisles. Um, if you need a Spanish Bible, we've got those available up on the windowsill. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home. It's our gift to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the snow. Our family did. We built a little... Um, would you call it an igloo or a tunnel? It was a little combination. I'm going to be generous and call it an igloo. Um, it was uh, it was good. With time with friends, time with friends, and um, uh, a lot of sledding. I'm sore from pulling a sled. Um, all the good things. And so I hope you guys got a chance to enjoy the snow. Um, we've enjoyed uh, going through Hebrews. We're we're three weeks, four weeks in now, um, and it has it has already been. Um, I just can see how it's already producing fruit within our body and the conversations that I'm just hearing that are taking place. So excited about that. Um, This book begins, we've already said that it's not just, it's not a normal book. Um, This book begins, you see from the beginning that it's, it's not even a letter like a lot of books are. It's a sermon. And so there is this one theme all throughout that carries from the beginning all the way through. And so uh, right at the very beginning, you get this, like, just honestly, there's no other way to describe it. This, like, cosmic view of who Christ is. He takes everything that you may know about Jesus, and he begins to push on all of your ideas and just say, Jesus is far greater. He says he is the radiance of the glory of God. He's exact, the exact imprint of his nature. All things were made through him. All things are held together by him. He is the heir of all things. And immediately you're just like, whoa, whoa. Like this Christ, that is a different view than just the child that came in a manger and died on the cross. That's magnificent. But you're saying that Christ and Messiah is the beginning and the end of all things. Massive view. Um, And he does it with a purpose. What he's doing is he's not just talking about who Christ is, but he's talking about it with a purpose. He's calling the people he's writing to, he's calling a stagnant people back into motion. He's saying you've just, the way that Brian talked about it last week, you're beginning to drift. The the reason we talk about fixing your eyes on Jesus is because he talks about how this life is like a race and it needs to be run with endurance. And so there's this message all throughout and what's beautiful about it is that he he doesn't build a message on you being strong enough to do it. The message is built on the person of who Christ is. So I don't know how many of you guys uh, did New Year's resolutions. Hands, anybody? New Year's resolutions? No, are we, do we not do these around? Or we just don't raise our hands. Oh, that's it. Um, we, there's some out there. Uh, so New Year's resolutions, uh, I, I, Megan is doing a great job. She can tell you, I'll leave that to her. She can tell you about hers, but she's doing a great job. I do not do a great job with them. Statistically, um, the research shows that 23% of people quit their resolutions by the end of the first week. Oof, um, 43% quit by the end of January. I don't know how many of you would be. We're almost at January. So if you're doing good, if you're still doing it, you're doing great. Better than most. Um, I, I think one of the reasons that we don't do New Year's resolutions is because maybe you've done them in the past. Um, and I personally am of the conviction that they're still important to do. Even if, they, you fa- even if you don't carry through to the end of the year, they're still really important to understand, like, how can I better myself this year? Um, But one of the things that uh, we realize is that 
I think New Year's resolutions show, show this, is that even when we put all of our mental focus and energy and we write in our journals and we say, hey, this is gonna be the year that I do X, all of it towards changing one aspect of ourselves, we struggle to do that. Like everything, we say, okay, I'm gonna pause so much so that I can just change this part because this needs to change. It's not that it can't happen, but it's a struggle. And what we're gonna see here today is that what the author of Hebrews is talking about is not just changing a part of who you are, he's talking about changing everything, changing all of yourself. And what, he, what you realize is that what he's actually talking about is a new kind of way to be a human. It is a whole different understanding than what we present oftentimes as our best versions of ourselves. He says, you need to be completely transformed. And he does that, and he builds that, not based on us being stronger than you think you are. He says, maybe it's that Jesus is far greater than you've ever considered. So if you want to experience real transformation, he begins this argument with this, consider Christ, and let's start big. <laughs> and it's going to change who we are. And I, I personally appreciate the fact that he starts there because I know that I'm limited in my ability to change myself. So today we're going to start with the cosmic, but then all the way by the end of the end of chapter two, which we should get through, hopefully, by the grace of the Lord, get through the end of chapter two. Um, he we finishes with this idea that this cosmic king is also our brother. Um, so I'm excited to see how the Lord uses it. Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse five, says this. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the foundation of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Let me pray. Father, Lord, would you, would you be our teacher this morning? You've promised that everywhere that we go, that you are with us and that your spirit can teach us and guide us into all truth. And that by your power, Lord, that we can believe and be transformed into someone that looks more and more like Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that that transformation would be something that takes place in this room this morning. In my heart and our hearts as a community, Lord, would you change us Lord, to reflect your image in the way that you have designed from the beginning of time. 
Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this truth. Lord, I pray that you would be worshiping glorified in our hearts, with our words, and everything that we do this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so the first question that we're gonna start with um, is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? Um, again, this is, this is a sermon. He's been carrying this idea all the way throughout. And, and Brian started beginning of, ver- of chapter two with this transitional word, therefore. And when we see that, we ask the questions of, okay, so if it's, what is it there for? Like there is a reason for that word. And what he's doing is he's tying these arguments together. So all of chapter one is not a conversation on its own. All of chapter one is meant to be pulled through into the next chapter. So we go into chapter two, and we've got therefore, don't drift. There is a message of salvation that you were given by angels and, and, and then also a message that you were given by Christ. And the message you were given by Christ is far superior because the messenger is far superior. And then you get to the beginning of our passage and he says, for. So he is still building on this idea. He's like, if Christ is superior, then the message is superior and we cannot neglect that message. We need to listen closely to that message. And then he says, for. For what? He says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. He begins this idea of the world to come. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but a lot of times we have um, our idea of what the Bible says from the beginning to end is that someday we will be spiritual beings in the presence of the Lord. Um, Spiritual, absolutely. But the actual story of scripture is that in the beginning, God creates the world. He creates everything in it and he places us in that world. And what he does is he gives us dominion and rule. And the idea was that we would reflect his image in creation in the way that we rule and govern and hold authority. And that it would be something that would carry all throughout scripture. But what happens is that there's sin enters the world and it breaks this rule. And what you get is a broken world. And Jesus, through God, through Jesus, enters this world. And the idea is not that he would just do away with it, but actually that he would restore it. That is the idea, that we would then, one, be fully restored in the presence of the Lord. And actually, so when he says that there's going to be a new world, the world to come is gonna be subject to Christ, Jesus and his bride, that's the picture that we get, that there's coming a day in Revelation chapter two that there's, there's no more pain, there's no more, there's no more tears, there's, there's no more death, and the presence, behold, God is with his people. That's a restored world where everything is set right again. And so he's telling this story, and you realize, like, really quickly, he's telling the story of all of creation, and he says, well, why would you listen to angels when this whole thing is meant to be in subject not to angels, But actually, one day, this thing is going to be ruled by Christ and his bride, the church. It's going to be restored in that way. Then he takes this deep, deep dive um, into Psalm chapter 8. All right, so he says, he starts with this in verse verse 6. He says, it has been testified somewhere. Um, I love that because... Um, if I were to say to you, it's not about how hard you can get hit, but it's about how hard, it's not about how hard you can hit, but it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. What would you say? Come on, it's gotta be someone. Do I have to say it correctly? Rocky Balboa, see, there you go. It's not about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. The reason that we're familiar, some of us are familiar with that is because we're Philadelphians, right? And there's this story that is just carried throughout and we do statues and we have quotes. And the reason that we have this is because it's just kind of like woven into our culture. 
And so when I give just a single line, hopefully some of you, the bravest of you, say, yes, there's that, that's Rocky Balboa. And what you have here is him giving what would be comparable to that. There, He gives this line where he says, it has been testified somewhere. Of course, they know exactly where it's testified. And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Immediately when they hear that, they're gonna be like, that is, that, that's a song that I've heard from the moment that I've been a child. He's speaking to Hebrew people. This is Psalm chapter eight. These are the words of David. This is a song that would have been sung over and over and over again. This is like the manifesto of what it means to be human in scripture. This passage carries so much weight. And so he enters it with just a little bit of sarcasm. And he is introducing and reintroducing something that is old, but introducing it in a way that is new. This whole Psalm is a celebration of the glory of God and the glory of God reflected in the dignity that's been given to human beings. So it begins like this, Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and yet out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemies and the avenger. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Um, I don't know what you guys did over Christmas, um, but I, we, we traveled. And so I got to go to Lehigh Valley. I love living in the city. The city's great. Uh, I think one of the best um, descriptions of why I love the city is probably what Paul Tripp said, where he's just like, you get to see the image of God in everyone that walks past you. That you're just, it's a highly populated place. And for some people that's problematic, but for other people, when you look and you see that, that people, humans are the ones in which God crowned his creation with glory, that there is a beauty to it in being with, around so many people. Sometimes it's frustrating when they don't handle the trash well and they don't, you know, shovel the way they should. But I, I go to my, you know, I, I love living in a city and sometimes you don't even realize like how much you're around people until you're out, you know, you guys know that feeling? Um, and so I went in Lehigh Valley uh, with, with family and we stayed overnight and after dinner I had to run out to the car and so you go out to the car and immediately I'm struck by silence. You just like, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> where there's nothing it is so quiet and and then you look up you know and you're just like the stars are wild like i don't realize how much i often just don't see them because the light here the street lights and everything just kind of drown them out and so you you see some here and there but i think once you've you ever been in that place where you just you're at, you're somewhere where it's just a perfectly clear night and as you look up there is just a blanket of stars and you're like this this is i can't believe this is always here this is wild um and that's what david's doing in this moment he says Look at the stars. And he's reflecting on Genesis chapter one, where it says that God placed the lights. He placed the stars in the heavens. He says, 
the same God that placed the stars in the heaven and the glory that the, the heavens give off, the glory that the stars give off. What is glory? Glory is the outward display of God's character and nature. So when you look at his creation, what you see is God's character actually put on display for his world to observe. And so this glory can be seen in the stars. And so when you look up at the stars and you're like, God is so big. What you're observing is his glory and it's changing you. When you look at the rest of creation and he eventually talks about the birds and the seas, he's like, when you're like, God is so creative. God is always in control. God is sovereign and powerful. God is like nothing. I was watching videos this week about like a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm like, there's gotta be no more terrifying place. There's so much power in the ocean. You know, it's like, I can't even, like those places exist. God is so powerful. You look at all of this and you see these attributes of God and you're like, you are, you are being changed by his glory. And so what he does is that he not only just talks about God's glory as the stars, but then it causes him to reflect, how can that God who has created all of this, he's mindful of me. Like, how is he mindful of me? Not only is he mindful of me, but he says that he cares for me. So just like a father would with a child, he, he takes care of us. And not only that, he says, yet you have made him, humanity, a little lower than heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. So you have all of this, everything that we just talked about, where there is glory, the glory of God is being put on display for everyone to observe. And he says, but the one of all creation that receives the crown of glory, God's glory of heaven above, and as it's placed in creation, there is a unique position for humanity. And it holds the glory of God in a way that is absolutely unique from the rest of creation. God's glory is displayed in the human race. And as you keep reading, he says, not only that, he says, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. You've also placed also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and all the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. He's pulling straight from Genesis 1, 28, which says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He says, rule over the fish and over the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what does it mean to be human? Another way to ask that is, what am I here for? And I don't know if there could be a better more relevant question for you to ask. I don't know if you've been there where you've asked that question, where you've gone from one exciting adventure in your life to the next exciting. Maybe it's a season of transition. Maybe you've gotten everything you wanted. Maybe you've gotten nothing that you wanted, but somewhere along the way, you're like, what is the purpose of all of this? Like, what am I actually supposed to be doing? Well, the, the Bible defines humanity's role as the crown of creation meant to display God's glory through the way that we rule, hold dominion and authority over the world and everything in it. Rule, that may sound strange to you. Um, you may be like, rule, what are you talking about rule? I'll tell you right now, I have no idea where my car is. You know, it's like, I think I parked it on Memphis Street when I came back from Trader Joe's, but who knows? You know, like ruling. Am I really the guy that should be ruling here? <laughs> you know? 
I don't know. But when you wake up every morning, I don't know if the first thing you think is like probably like I just need a cup of coffee, but maybe you're just thinking like, I, today I want to rule well. Maybe you don't think that. <laughs> probably, likely not. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. And I think one of the reasons that it's not the first thing that comes to mind is that when we hear these words, even of rule, power, authority, dominion, and control, do they have, let's just ask this, do they have positive connotations in your mind? No? Yeah. I think um, most often they don't because these things are the things that are precisely used to bring about most often pain, death, difficulty. These are the things that you may have at one point been the one that exerted over others and feel shame as a result of that, or someone that has displayed some kind of rule or power, dominion and authority over you that has not been about your good, but actually they've been about their tribe and theirs and we separate each other. And we look at the human race and one of the things that you see is that this, these things, instead of using these for the common good and the glory of God, what we do is we use these things for our good and only for us. And what it does is it brings about destruction. And so you hear these words like rule, power, dominion, dominate, control. And you're like, those, those, are, those are not comforting words. <laughs> um, the author of Hebrews doesn't miss that. He says in verse eight, as he moves past, he says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Who is him? We're still talking about humanity. So nothing is outside of our control at the beginning. That we, this, is the, this is the story of humanity. This is what we're given. And then he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What he's saying is, at some point, something has gone horribly wrong. We've taken what is good and we've used it for our own selfish gain. And what I think you, the danger is to think that these things like rule and authority are things that are actually bad in and of themselves, and they're not. Those are things that are created by God and meant to be used for his glory, but actually what, they're, what they do most often is that they're used against us. I think um, he doesn't stop there, thankfully. What he's gonna do here is he's going to take this um, idea this of what humanity is meant to be in Christ. And he is going to say, this: if this is who God created you to be, and this is what you have known since you've been a child, let me lay on top of that Christ and his gospel. And that is going to complete, that's going to transform what you understand about humanity and give it a depth that maybe you haven't quite observed yet. In verse nine, he says, but, but we see him. Now this hymn is different from the hymn that we just said. Him was humanity that was given rule and dominion. And he says, now we see him. Listen to the description that we get for him, who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus. And now he's just explicitly saying, this is Christ. He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he, he uses some similar words. He says he's made lower than the angels. He's crowned with glory. 
Like what he's intending for you to do is to say, okay, so if this is what humanity is meant to be, and then when Christ as human re-enters the scene, you're meant to reread all of that and to observe again. So, okay, so what is Christ like in this role? If we know what we are like in this role, then who is Jesus in this role? So the second thing that I want us to observe, if we're just first understanding what does it mean to be human, the second thing I want us to just question is, how does Jesus restore our humanity? How does Jesus restore our humanity? Um, so just for structure's sake, verses 10 through 18 are going to outline, it's gonna be a reiteration of everything that he says in verse nine. And so we're gonna pull these up so that we can, so that we can have a better and fuller grasp of what he's saying. But he says, but we see him, and he's for a while made lower than angels, and he is crowned with glory. He expounds upon this in verse 11, where he says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So what he's saying here is, if you tie up all the way back to chapter one, is what he's saying here is that this God this God who created everything, who gave you purpose, who his glory is displayed all throughout creation and primarily and most importantly in the human race. That God is now, be, now come to join in that human race in Christ. That's who Jesus is. And you're just supposed to be like, what are you talking about? Yes, Christ comes and he joins in this human race and he becomes like us. Verse 14 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Verse 17 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So this massive truth, this massive truth is what should absolutely change the way that we understand not just what we are meant to be, do as humans, but what Jesus does is he redefines what, human, what it means to be a human. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like Jesus is reshaping the way that we see everything, where we enter the scene and we see opportunity for selfish gain. Jesus says things like, love your neighbor, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you. Where we would go and we would provide just dominance and where we actually, one of the things that I was thinking about, I don't know, maybe this is because we're talking about the stars that made me think about this. Some, I feel like the news is crazy these days, but something that's happening more, more often is that people are talking about aliens. Don't ask me about aliens in a biblical context. I will, you know, we can have a side conversation. I don't know a lot. Um, but I feel like it's just like a conversation that's happening all the time now. It's just like alien sightings. And I don't even know if you're familiar with this, but this is like more of like a normal thing now. And so um, I'm like, why are we scared of this? And the primary reason that we're scared of this is because um, if aliens get to us first, that means that they have a technology that's far superior than ours, and that may, means that they would probably absolutely wipe us off the face of the planet. And that's terrifying. But the reason that we assume that is because that's what we do. <laughs> is that not what we do? Is that when we get power, we destroy. And there are, there are entire entities, like nationally, that are put into place so that power maintains a balance. Because if humans get a hold of power, the wrong humans get a hold of power, people die. And 
this is like on a national scale, this happens like on a global scale. But then also, I think there's an anxiety that's happening within us as a culture right now. And it's not just about a national and global scale. I think this is something that happens in our, like in our interpersonal relationships. The reason we're anxious is because those things that we see played out on a global scale, we see in ourselves. We see in our own lives. We try to amass followings. We try to amass power. We try to amass influence. And with that power and influence, we try to look out for our tribe. We look out for our people. We look out for ourselves first. Jesus comes and he has all the power in the world. And he does the exact opposite. He comes not to be served, but to serve. And what he does, he gives his life as a ransom for many. It's power like we've never seen it before. We've never seen a human hold that kind of power and lay it down. It's... It hasn't happened. And so for us, when we see this, there's gotta be a part of us that says, that is a new way to be a human. That's a new way to live. That's a new way to rule, have dominion. And so what happens here is Jesus is given as a human everything. He's given everything that we have, that we would have dominion and power and and, and authority. And what he does is that he rules in a way that creates a way for everyone else. And at the end, one of my favorite verses is that him, he is then crowned with glory so that he could bring many sons to glory. So that this glory that was meant to be ours, what he's doing is he's restoring what was lost in humanity. What was like lost all the way back at the beginning, the glory in our ability to actually display God to the rest of creation. That the world would see God's glory when it looks at the way that we rule and care for the world. But it was lost along the way. Jesus comes and he displays this kind of radical love towards us and the entire world. And what it does is it restores something that was lost, namely glory. I think um, we, uh, we're, t- we're talking about something, I guess, along these lines um, on Saturday morning, men's group, 7 a.m., Vessel Coffee Shop. So if you're a man and you'd like to be there, we'll be there Saturday mornings, plug. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is how does, how does Jesus model, what is biblical manhood in the life of Christ? And so we just navigate all the things that we are told about what it means to be a man in this, in this culture. And then we just honestly, we, we just look at who Christ is and all the different aspects of him. And we say, well, this, this is what it means to be man. And at the heart of that is really what it means to be human. And how many, how many lies have we picked up along the way? And so this past week, we were looking at Luke chapter six, verse 26 through 20, 28. And it says, He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. The question that we posed was, do you guys have enemies? And immediately you're like, no, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Um, But not like real enemies, not like, like superhero enemies. Like this is a story that we play out like over and over again where we tell these stories. Do you even notice like in the way, in the stories that we tell, it's like one just dominating the other. That's just what we do. But yes, you're like, nah, I don't know that I have enemies. But if you think of your enemies as someone that would be in opposition to you getting what you desire, then maybe you have quite a few. Um, Sometimes it's just the enemy that you're trying to merge on, you know, you're trying to just get on the highway and there's this enemy coming, you know. 
and that's simple, but other times these enemies carry, for, carry on for years. There's in like their coworkers, their family members, their people in life. And, and what Jesus says is he says, love these people, pray for these people. And, and the question we asked was, what would happen if we did that? And Brett said, well, it would, it would break the cycle. I was like, yes, Brett, it would break the cycle. That's exactly what it would do. It would break the cycle. That from the beginning of time, there's this cycle of just hate and destruction that has come from death that came into our world. And that kind of love has the capability to actually eliminate our greatest enemies, the the enemy. That it would cause the one who holds death in his hands to be rendered powerless because that kind of love changes and transforms an entire people. And um, the, the quote that we thought, and maybe just because it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, just the other day, and so I, I see his quotes everywhere, but one of the things that he said was, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And... I think as we see the, the life of Christ and what he is modeling for us and what it means to be human, I think what you see is a love that actually transforms not just part of who you are, transforms absolutely all of who you are. So how does Jesus restore our humanity? One of the things that he does is he destroys the enemy of humanity, mainly the devil. We see that in this passage. Uh, in verse 14, it says, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And what does he do then? He delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to slavery, lifelong slavery. Um, and then he, he begins also, not just that we would be delivered one day into glory, but he acknowledges what's happening in this present life. In verse 18, he says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The idea is that not only that one day we will be with Christ, but actually this restored humanity, if you look to Christ, that this is someone that can be a very present help now. This can change who you are, not one day in glory. This can change who you are right now. And I realize, um, I realize that um, we are bad at changing ourselves. And uh, New Year's resolutions a lot of times fall short. And so when you hear all this, you're like, man, you're asking me to do a lot. Like you're telling me I got to change the way that I, like all of who I am. You're telling me that I got to be a completely different person. You're not just like, sometimes it'd be easy if you would be like, well, why don't you just come to a group? And if you can do that once a week, you'd be good. <laughs> but this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. No, this changes absolutely everything about you. And so I want you to, again, like in line with what the author of Hebrews is saying is that you can't do this on your own. That's the point of the story is that humanity has failed time and time again to rightfully rule and hold power and dominion in a way that displays the glory of God. But we have someone who is and displays humanity in a way that we'd never seen before. He destroys our enemies that were a hindrance to us. And what he does is he makes a way. And so I think the first thing, if you're, what does it look like for me to live out as this new type of human? Um, the passage that I think about is Romans chapter five. 
He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ dies for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even to die. But, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. And he says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now listen to this. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled. The first thing that we have to, if you're going to live as a new human, the very first thing that you need to see is that currently outside of Christ, you stand as an enemy to God. So someone that was destined for glory and meant to hold the, God's glory and display it to the world because of sin and the way that it's entered the world, that actually we stand as enemy in oppositions to the, that God. But God doesn't leave us there because of his love. He moves towards us in Christ and he becomes our brother that he actually would enter humanity and that he would be the one that would make a way. And so he displays this radical love. So if you want to display that love, the first thing you need to do is receive that love. That's where it begins. There needs to be a part of you that says, I don't deserve the love that I receive in Christ. And then out of that, I think what we see is that we fix our eyes on Christ. We fix our eyes on Christ um, and we expect opposition. At the end, he says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The acknowledgement is that if you live your life like this, you, it, it's going to be uncomfortable. Like if, if there's a part of you that's saying, I don't, I don't know, that's like, I'm gonna stand out in that. I, this is gonna change the way that you think. It's gonna change the way you prioritize things. It's gonna change the way that you use your resources. It's gonna change the way that you decide where you're going to be in life. It's gonna change the people that you connect with. It's gonna change absolutely everything about you. People are going to see that you're, the way you make decisions is different than the way that everyone, makes, everyone else makes decisions because your ultimate protection is not in your ability to protect yourself or sustain your life. It's actually in your ability to give God glory who protects and sustains your life. And that is a radically different view on life. That is different. And so when those two views walk alongside each other, it's not gonna take long for someone to say, you see the world differently than I do. And there's gonna be times where because of that, you're gonna face opposition. There's gonna be times where because of that, there's going to be resistance. And so I think what is most important is that you take that and you recognize in that moment that, man, that is expected. And not only is that expected, but the promise is that you're not alone. That because Christ suffered and was obedient, and your suffering that you can draw near to him. And also that God is the one that is protecting and providing for you. So I don't know, that, man, that has gotta be, it was a lot for me. Uh, it's gotta be a lot for you. I, I think these conversations, on Sunday mornings, one of the things that we try to do is, obviously, <clears throat> as best as we can, put the text before our people, but what we believe is that this thing is alive and it's active. And so as we talk about what it means to be human, as we talk about Jesus, the ultimate human, as we talk about being a restored human, thinking differently, that that would be just a seed that is sown in our hearts. And as we go into our city groups, as we go throughout our life, that this word that is alive and active and the spirit that is with us would actually cause us to be transformed. And the way that we talk to each other, 
and the way that we interact with each other, that this would be something that would begin, it would be a seed that is sown that would begin to grow in our body, that we would truly begin to look like a new human race, <laughs> thinks differently, acts differently, looks to Christ as our Savior, the one who models that for us. Let me pray for us this morning and we'll finish. Father, thank you for your word. We're grateful for the author of Hebrews, that he would write this down, Lord, that we would see this. Lord, I, I, my prayer is that we would see what it means to be a restored person, someone that um, not only has a future that is full of glory, but actually that there would be glory that would be seen in us now. Lord, that we would be transformed as we set our eyes and we fix our eyes on Christ, that we would begin to be transformed and we would see everything in our life differently. That we begin to hold our resources open for you to use as you see fit. Or that we would begin to hold our, our relationships in a way that honors you, full of grace and forgiveness. Lord, that we would begin to model a love that comes directly from you. Or that we would begin to move towards the lost in our city. We would begin to move towards brokenness in our city that is just, um, Lord, in a radical manner that causes others to see and question what has caused this kind of response. Lord, I pray that, that we would be truly transformed. So Lord, I, I pray over conversations that'll happen this week. I pray over the way that your word is going to continue to grow within your body, Lord. I pray that this seed would grow and cause us to consider you, as the author of Hebrews is calling us to do, just to consider that you are far more than we ever thought. We Help us to fix our eyes on you. In your name, amen.